0: What do Skip Bayless, your local weatherman, and that random guy who said the world was going to end a few years ago have in common? They love making bold predictions. The Ruts boys like to do that too, but the only difference is, we're going to get them right this year. Let's run up the score. Baby! You're listening to Run Up The Score, a fantasy football podcast. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to Run Up The Score. My name is Donald Wagonblast. Joining me is my brother, Scott. Hey. And our friend, Tom Hillier. Hey, everybody. And we are now in the first week of the NFL season it feels so good. The build-up, even with us just recording this podcast, it seemed like it was never going to come. We're here. It's week one. We've got a full football game being played in two days, gentlemen. Woo! We made it to
1: the season. Uh, so, but It's been before, a long journey for it's been, us, yeah, it's but, been, you know, it's uh, yeah. definitely a very exciting one. Yes. I can't can't wait for Thursday. Yeah. I think we have a good game. Some long
0: nights, some early mornings, but to when touchdown Tom throws his first pass of the season, it's going to be like, yeah, to grow. we're here.
2: <laughs> all show. right. So uh,
0: we do have a little bit of uh, of housekeeping things to do before we get into our week one preview, which is going to be coming out Thursday. We're going to run through every single game, uh, run through some headlines that are going to be affecting those games. So you're not really going to hear a lot of news in this episode. What we're going to do is all of our teams have drafted now. So we're going to be talking to you about what's been happening with those teams and maybe, you know, the same kind of things were happening with our listeners. Uh, and then we're going to get into some bold predictions, some things that we believe in going into this season. Yep. Break down um, the chaos of draft weekend yes. a little bit. So we're calling this our, our shareholders meeting. So we're just going to have a quick discussion about how our teams have ended up. Uh, so let's get started. What guy What guy do you have the most shares in this year, Scott?
1: Well, I have... Um, One, two, three, four. I have six guys who I have in three different leagues. Wow. Um, Julio, as you you guys kind of know, that I I typically kind of draft the same guys. I'm always looking for the same types of guys each year. But um, Julio, um, you know, was just more of like a draft kind of selection point where I was able to just get him. You know, it was, it, he just fell to me and he's, he's my guy. So I went and got him. Uh, Robbie Anderson went very late. I was able to get him pretty much in any draft I wanted, unless I was drafting with Tom um, <laughs> Cameron Bray, another one, unless I was drafting with Tom, I pretty much got him late whenever I wanted Um Jaquiz Rogers was a guy that, you know, we had been on since our very first mock draft. It was a guy who I reached for in a lot of my drafts because I just kind of see his path to glory being there. And at that round, it made sense. Um, LeGarrette Blunt, another guy who we've talked about, you know, a ton. And again, he was another great late value, um, another value running back. As you can see, like the value late um, was really where I was able to pick a lot of the guys I wanted. And then um, I had Justin Tucker on three teams. Shocker. Pretty
0: good. Tom, how
2: standard about you? For, uh, standard for your team. Really. Yeah,
1: it's yeah funny. three out of five I had yeah.
0: him, so that's that's good enough for it's me. It's funny because like you do look for Julio whenever you can get him, but you ended up having like that fourth or fifth pick that put you in Julio range a lot this summer.
1: Yeah, a lot of my drafts lined up where it was like, okay, I guess I'm picking Julio again. Sounds oh, good. Wow. And then, you know, in the uh, Celeb League, I think I went sixth, but... Someone picked Odell instead of Julio, so it was able for him to fall back. And to Zeke went early. And Zeke went early
0: too. So I might have even picked seventh actually. Yep. All right. So Tom, uh, tell us who you've had, who you have the most shares of going into this season.
2: So going into this season, I picked a lot from the number one spot. So thankfully, I am a David Johnson, David Johnson owner a plenty. I also wound up with a lot of Tyree Kill, who if you go. On the rankings update I was uh, really warming up to him right. so I went out and got him in a lot of leagues um, I also got a lot of Larry Fitzgerald and Christian McCaffrey in full point PPR leagues mm-hmm. and both of them well not both of them Larry usually came to me at a value you know I was kind of passing over him right. and then he would still be there on my next pick which you, you gotta love
1: hang in that 5-6 round type range exactly. yeah.
2: and I did get a lot of you know, I don't want to say the best tight ends. You know, I, I waited a lot. I want to kind of group that together. I got right. you know Charles Clay in one league. Mm-hmm. I've even got uh, Jason Witten. You know, I really waited on tight end. And if I didn't, I wound up with Gronk. Right. I'm am a Gronk owner of at least I think just two actually. And then Danny Woodhead. Yeah. In um in any format, I have about three shares of Danny. Cool. So otherwise, I wanted to get you know some other guys, and we'll get into those. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the results. And I have a lot of teams that I think are just
0: loaded. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're not happy with the team that you drafted before week one even starts, that's when you know you're really in trouble. Um, but it is cool because, like, you know, you, we were we just went through the review episode where we had a lot of Gronk questions. And, Tom, you had mentioned, you know, I, ha- I, I would definitely take Gronk early in the second round, even late in the first if I had to. And you're putting your money where your mouth is. You got them pretty much any, anywhere you wanted them. Um, so that was pretty cool. I ended up with Aaron Rodgers a lot, which Shock I was pumped her. about. Uh, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty big fan of his, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. Another guy I didn't expect to end up with a lot of shares of, but I did. Adam Thielen. Hmm. Yeah. I like right know, around I really
2: that, Like him, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I don't have him at all.
0: Right around that tenth, eleventh round, like when I had my probably first, second, third, and fourth receivers, like he was there, and I just feel like, especially in a PPR league and the two leagues that I do have him in are full point and half point PPR. I was just like, I, I would rather have him than a, a one of these rookie running backs like Samaj P Ryan, who, right. you know, might get on the field, might not. So I ended up with him a lot. And I think, I think that's honestly it, you know, f- for the rest of my teams. Like, I feel like I have a quite a mixed bag. Um, So that's actually going to move on to our next question. Uh, let's talk about a guy who you drafted this year that you really weren't expecting to get, shares of, or maybe a guy you drafted a lot that you weren't expecting to get. Tom, we'll start with you this time.
2: So, someone I wasn't expecting to get, but was in a situation yesterday where, you know, I just had to take him, was Jordan Howard. Fell to me in the third round.
1: Yeah, that's too far. And he's been a first round pick in
0: some drafts. this Exactly. With the position
2: scarcity that you mentioned, and then taking him there, uh, my team wound up pretty loaded. At running back Because right. my second round pick Was Todd Gurley Right Someone that I really wanted But didn't get a lot of him Right So um, I do have a A good balance In that running back core Where It was I did get one guy That I really wanted And then I settled for a guy That By all accounts Is likely to be a, You know A great fantasy asset But mm-hmm. I just wasn't as as hot on him as some of his as some other guys, peers. I think
1: all of us in general were kind of cooler on him and more high on our Ajays and Freemans and um, girlies, those, those types of yeah. guys. Well, another um, guy that I didn't really expect to get who was as a running back was Carlos Hyde. Um, you know, we had spent the early portion of the summer kind of down talking his potential and. Um, by the end of the summer, it's interesting to see how far he's come and the moves, obviously, yesterday with uh, Joe Williams getting placed on injury reserve as well as uh, Tim Hightower not making the 53-man roster really kind of tease it up for Hyde to dominate, which I, I – the reason that I ended up picking him was I was looking at the running backs available and I just thought that his path – to a really great season was was there for him and a a lot of guys in that range really weren't so I ended up with him and maybe maybe two leagues not three like those other guys we talked about and at this moment I'm very happy about it with all that's gone on and
0: the big thing too was like everybody was was hyped on Joe Williams now he's out for the year on IR with an ankle injury like that was huge for him I ended up with Hyde in in a league and I was shocked that I took him but now it just kind of seems like, you know, it's so funny. He was such a, in such a negative space before the draft, and then it's just gone up and up and up and up. That's and now right. he really looks like he's going to get the lion's share of the work. A guy I didn't expect to end up with, I actually have two shares of him now, was Doug Baldwin. And when I was mocking this summer, I just I really couldn't put a finger on his ADP. Like I would, I would be in the back end of the first round of the second round. He'd go before I got my chance at the turn. I'd be in the middle of the second round and and take Gronk, for example, because it just felt like I couldn't pass up his value. And then he didn't make it to me in the third. But Mm -hmm. when real time draft comes in, I ended up getting him in the third round in two different leagues, which I was absolutely thrilled with. Um, You know, this is a guy who's been a top 10 receiver for the last two years. And, you know, for an offense that looks like it's going to be, all systems go, I think they're in a pretty good spot.
1: I think, um, to big, to piggyback off you, um, I had Doug Baldwin listed as one of the players that I was most upset that I didn't get any shares in, if we want to kind of segment yeah, into, into our next subject. You know, I was really big on, and I'd mocked a lot of the Doug Baldwin-Russell Wilson stack. I, I really, I'm high on that this year because of how low, uh, how high, I'm sorry, the potential floor is. Really, the floor is kind of what he's done over the past two years, and the ceiling can obviously go up and up. Um, another guy that I was upset about, uh, my boy Todd Gurley. I wasn't able to get him in a single league, which wow. is pretty surprising, right? That is crazy. Um, Jordan Reed, I thought that I, that he was going to fall to a round where, where maybe I could, I could take advantage of him. Didn't get a chance to... Um, Another guy was Willie Sneed, who I was big on. Unfortunately, now we know that he has the three-game suspension. Makes me feel a little better about not getting him, but I don't think that his season-long projection should be beat up too, too much by him missing those three games.
0: And not that we're trying to talk strategy so much for this episode, right. but Willie Sneed's got a three-game suspension, and everybody loves to jump on that waiver-wire wonder in the first three weeks of the season with a suspension from him. And, you know, who knows what the Saints offense is going to look like now that he's out. But, you know, he's going to be a drop candidate for a lot of people, I think. So if you're a believer in Willie Sneed, don't give up hope because he could be a guy who gets cut simply because he's not available. And a guy in your league wants to pick up, you know, someone who stays hot in the first couple weeks of the season.
1: One last guy too. sorry, Tom. Uh, One last guy. Philip Rivers (laughs) didn't have him either. Pretty surprising. Yeah. Well, he went
0: undrafted in a couple of leagues.
1: Yeah, and he went, like, you know, it was in a range where I I was taking guys who I thought maybe had a little more upside than he did when I was drafting Q, so. Yeah. Tom, a guy that you really were hoping to get somewhere this year but didn't.
2: Um, My big one was Jimmy Graham. So it goes on to that Seahawks theme here. I think it's a big year for Russell Wilson, and I did manage to nab him in a couple places. But I think Jimmy Graham's going to have a huge year. I loved where his ADP was. But I was just waiting for someone to, or not somebody or waiting for anything in particular, but if he dropped at all, I would have been all systems go. Right. I just don't like to reach down for a tight end. Mm-hmm. So you've already heard me beat that to a pulp. Um, it's tough for me to wind up with an insane value at tight end. But in one league, I did manage Tyler Eifert. He was Graham um, was
1: tough to gauge. It was tough to know if he was going if someone was going to pull that trigger on him up in that fifth round area or if he was going to be able to trickle down to that eighth round. And it seemed like he never made it like too far down for me to pick him either. I
2: think all the Graham owners should have confidence in him going into this year yeah. big time. You know, the Seahawks storyline speaks a lot. You know, he, or he being Russell Wilson, was hurt last year, not as mobile as he could be. Mm-hmm. Rawls you know, so was out. So the stats you know, didn't really support what their potential is. And right. I think this year you're going to be able to get those Seahawks on a bargain like Doug Baldwin in the third round, um, Russell Wilson, where I got him, I was clearly waiting, so I was taking advantage of people who were not drafting him, something that I wish would have happened with Jimmy Graham right. because I expect their offense as a whole to be electric. And even week one versus the Packers, I think they're a great uh, daily choice.
1: Yeah, they have uh, – They, ha- we talked about it early on when we were talking about how much we really liked Russell Wilson, how favorable their early season schedule is.
2: Yeah, he was a big guy that uh, – being Jimmy Graham that I didn't get, and I was a little disappointed in it. Yeah, right. um, maybe a guy I can get in trades down the line, and we'll see.
0: Yeah, because because he'll be fluky too. Like he, if he doesn't get those those red zone looks that Baldwin has, you know, is surprisingly good at converting on. Um, and then they've also got Paul Richardson who they're trying to keep uh, involved as well. You know, he could be a tricky guy to to project for us for the course of the season. But obviously, week one against the Packers, we think that's going to be all systems go. A uh, guy that I didn't end up with a lot that I, or at all that I wanted was Marcus Mariota. Hmm. You know, he was just, and I think that's a reflective of me getting Aaron Rodgers in so many leagues. Yes, I really wasn't ever in a position where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna wait and take my quarterback. I, I you know, in the one league that I don't have Aaron Rodgers, I had Russell Wilson because he slipped, you know, to the, I think it was like the seventh or eighth round, and I was like, and I and it was in a league I have Doug Baldwin in, so I was like, I can get that stack, that'll be good to go. So I, I wanted to get Mariota. But I didn't want him, I guess, badly enough that I was willing bad to, to wait. Reach for him. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't feel like reaching for him when when he was available to me. So, uh, inter- I'm interested to see because we like so many of the pieces of Tennessee's offense, and so I was thinking, well, if I like all these pieces that they have, I must like the guy who's assembling those pieces. Absolutely. So, uh, but I did end up with Decker in a couple of leagues, and um, you know, we'll see how it goes. Great. Thankfully, Corey Davis will be healthy as well. Uh, but let's yep. segue now. We are going to be talking about our bold predictions for this fantasy season. Pretty much everybody does this, and, and we get it. And the only difference is that we're going to be right. Of course, and, uh, whatever we say is right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, what we're going to do is we each have four bold predictions that we're going to present. Uh, some of us know what these predictions are. For uh, Some of us, we're going to be hearing other people's predictions for the first time. So we're going to kind of just discuss you know, whether we think that the others... Uh, predictions are going to be valid or, or are going to be true by the end of the year, and then uh, you guys can write them all down and you can hold them accountable on uh, that Twitter account, Old Takes Exposed, where they reveal like <laughs> everybody who got everything wrong, like the Patriots blowing it or the Falcons blowing a twenty-eight-three lead. All right, so uh,
1: does anybody want to go first? I, I can lead off. All right, let's I think go. Scotty. I have one that's a bit. So of, Scott, you're going to give uh, you're going to give all four. Okay, and then we'll sure. go Tom, oh. and then I'll give my four. Okay, sure. um, so. My first one, um, I had been thinking on this a while, and uh, it's that Lamar Miller will not be the number one running back in Houston by season's end, and he will thus not be startable in the season this year. I'll call it by week seven. The reasoning is because Houston just drafted a rookie, Deontay Foreman, who ran for 2,000 yards in college uh, in one season, by the way. And um, they also have a very serviceable backup who's actually played well in Miller's absence last season in Alfred Blue. You've always liked him. I've always been an Alfred Blue fan. And I've always picked him up on the on the waiver like once their starter goes down I'm I'm on Alfred Blue I was time.
2: like that about Ben Tate yeah <laughs> yeah
1: you were <laughs> he's another Houston guy too yeah. but both had nagging injuries through so that you didn't really get to see them play at all in that third preseason game which is unfortunate for them. But by all accounts, they've been doing great in preseason and their reps and during training camp. Um, The biggest thing for me for why I believe this is because it doesn't even take much for Lamar Miller to lose his fantasy relevance. He needs that 200 carries and 50, 60 catches a year for him to actually show value for you and you'll be able to start him on a volume perspective. If one of these guys comes in and starts to get it more towards a 60-40 split, I think Lamar Miller is is pretty much useless.
2: You're saying just basically... If they're more efficient than him, why keep giving him all exactly. the touches? Exactly, and,
1: and we saw it last year with Lamar Miller in some games. It seemed like he had no interest in even being tackled. He was going down before he was really even getting hit. I think that someone else, a young rookie coming in with a little bit more fire under his belly, kind of comes in, and there's a very good chance. I think there's a very good chance that by the end of the year, he's in some weird muddled uh, RBBC, and, and he's useless.
0: As the Lamar Miller owner in uh, the Internet Celebrity League, I hate this prediction. (laughs) But, I mean, you do lay it out. Like, he is being drafted as a guy who's kind of like a backup to, if you go wide receiver, wide receiver, you know, he's a backup to getting like, you know, he's like the backup running back that you're hoping is going to be steady for you all year so you don't have to work the waiver wire. Right. And, you know, I think that's a good prediction to get out there because, I don't think a lot of fantasy owners realize how flimsy his situation is in Houston. We're kind of just anointing him the bell cow when he really wasn't last
1: year. And there's even more heads. And a lot of people that you know, like I've spoken to about this take are like, you know, it's funny. The people who maybe didn't own him last year and do this year are like, no way. You know, he's really good. And the people who owned him last year are like, yeah, you know what? I can kind of see that. Yeah. And like I said, Blue was successful Um, towards the tail end of last season while Miller was hurt and they had the playoffs kind of locked up so he wasn't really playing. Shows that someone else can come in and be effective. They drafted a new running back that I really personally like and I think he's going to be really good. And um, I just think that they're going to eat too much into Lamar Miller if he's not dominant from week one.
0: Absolutely. All
1: right, so what's your next one, Scotty? My next one is that Tyler Eifert will regain his form and lead all tight ends and touchdowns once more. This is his first fully camp since the season in which he led all tight ends and touchdowns. Um, They're loaded up, right? They have all these options there. They have A.J. Green, they have John Ross, they have this, that, and the other thing. Who's catching the ball in the red zone for the Bengals? Because A.J. Green has never really been the go-to red zone target that you'd expect from a big elite receiver like that. He gets more of his touchdowns on long touchdowns and maybe not directly in the red zone. I expect Andy Dalton to just be way better this year with all that around him and a full camp in with him and Eifert. I think that if Eifert plays 10 games, I know his injury, you know, he may not even play 10 games with his injuries. If he plays 10 games, he might score enough touchdowns to lead all tight ends. And I think he's going to make it through the year. And so with that said, I think that he might lead all tight ends and maybe all receivers again in touchdowns.
2: Yeah, you see how much they struggled last year without him in the red zone. Their red zone efficiency was... Being berated by commentators, fantasy analysts, you name it. It was by amateurs, even. It was really obvious that, you know, something was adrift in the red zone game plan with the Bengals. And obviously, having him is a huge help. I've been a fan of Andy Dalton this year as a value pick. And I think a lot of his value is you know hand in hand with Tyler Eifert I've read this stat before but it's it's worth repeating that Tyler Eifert since 2015 averages more fantasy points per target than Gronk
1: right he's had 19 touchdowns in his last 21 started games
2: yeah and the reason that that average is so high is because his touchdown percentage is so high like you mentioned so if he stays
1: healthy I mean that's that one can totally happen I just, I just feel like the Bengals are gonna be more. They're gonna be in the red zone more. They're, I think they're gonna be scoring more points this year. And with that said, their best red zone target is gonna benefit the most from it. Yeah,
0: and and they love working him in the slot and just sending him right up the seam because like it's just a tough. When when he was active last, last year, I know I
1: had him in a couple of leagues last year because he went so late, and I was like, I'll wait on the value and kind of play it like Tom does at tight end with the with some more back end guys. When he was on the field last year, it seemed like once they got in the twenty, inside the twenty, that's who they looked at, and I think it'll happen again, and I think it'll happen with a lot more regularity. Um, moving on to my to my next bold prediction, some would say that this is based off my Jets fandom, but I actually do believe that Bilal Powell will be a top ten fantasy back across all formats. Listen, he's the better and more active player compared to Forte, which is crazy to say. Forte is already on the trading block, which to me means he's on the cutting board as well. Um, there's just I just don't see him making the, through the season on the Jets, um, and I think that that forces Bilal into a bell cow role. And will the Jets be bad? Yeah, were they last year? Yeah, yep. did it change Powell's pro- uh, prospects? Not at all. Powell was a top five running back over the last four weeks of last season, absolutely dominated. I just think that there's going to be so much volume there for this kid, and someone has to gain the yards. That someone is going to be Bilal Powell.
2: I've brought it up before with um, Matt Forte. I kind of see his situation pretty similar to Anquan Bolden's. Like, why would he even want to be playing right now for that organization if he thinks he's got some more time left in him? He's better suited on a team that can compete he's a talented guy he doesn't need to be on the Jets. the Jets don't need to keep him either you see that they're trading away Sheldon Richardson now for a curse right. but I, and also for the record I don't see curse being a huge impact I guy, don't, do you guys yeah, see? No, no no but you know they're trading off assets. he's a guy that I could imagine them not having much longer like you alluded to. And then it's obvious that Pal is going to do it, but I think top ten is bold, sure, but I think it can totally happen as well. Yeah, and it was a
0: hamstring injury that kept Forte out for most of camp. I mean, that those like that can go at any time. Yeah, and um, if I'm so him, it's...
2: I'm not going to argue with the trainer, right? You
0: know? Exactly. Like, right. Keep me out. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll stay over here. That's fine. yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm sure Forte was surprised he didn't he made the cut. Yeah. And uh, yeah, in, I
1: just you know the thing for me that was really baked into it was. I really thought about how many backs that were realistically going to approach the 300 touch mark. And I think that Bilal Powell, with the absence of Matt Forte, is one of the more sure guys to get 300 touches. And if you're talking 60 catches, obviously full PPR, that moves him up. But even in standard, with that many touches, this guy has produced, he was producing, I think, over five yards per carry last year. I just feel like he's in a position where if he can maximize on that yards per touch, he's going to be in the top ten.
2: Yeah, I wish I ended up with more shares of him, actually.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't think I
1: got him anywhere.
0: Yeah, but obviously, based off mine, I got yeah. him a couple of weeks.
1: <laughs> 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 um, okay, moving on to my last one. I just want to throw out a disclaimer that I did write this down. You guys can see it in the Google Doc. It was edited <laughs> before the Willie Sneed suspension. Saints wide receiver Brandon Coleman will be a weekly WR2 slash flex starter. Yeah, I said it, but let's look at the past. In 2014, the wide receiver that led the Saints in in receptions and yards was not highly touted rookie Brandon Cooks. It also wasn't old standby veteran Marcus Colston. It was actually Kenny Stills who caught 63 passes for 931 yards. Disclaimer on that, that was a big Jimmy Graham year too. That was a large Jimmy Graham year, yes. In 2015... It was third option Willie Snead who burst out on the scene with 69 catches for 984 yards. He wasn't a wide receiver one, but he was started basically all over the board, all over leagues, right? And then obviously last year, who can forget Michael Thomas's meteoric rise from third receiver in that option third receiver in that offense to the complete number one option. Attention is going to be all over Thomas, especially with the sneed suspension. And to me, I personally just don't believe that Ted Ginn will prove himself enough to get that high of a snap share, especially early in the week. He has too much of a drop ratio. He's too consistent in his route running. I just don't see him being out there for as long as maybe these other pundits kind of project. Um, that leaves Brandon Coleman, who has worked hard this offseason and has shown improvements just like everybody else. Um Has progress with, and it's progress that Breeze has seen firsthand though, because he was drafted with the Saints and this is his fourth year in their system. I believe that he is just going to be able to have a better mastery of the the playbook. And as long as he can do that, he's going to be on the field and apparently in that Saints offense. If you're the third receiver on that team, you're going to produce. All you got to do is get on the field, Um,
2: almost at a 1,000 yard
1: level. Almost at a one thousand yard level, like a, on a guarantee, almost almost three straight years, a guy came from basically nowhere as their third receiver to come up and and lead them in receiving yards. Almost, or I do a-
2: agree that he won't um, be affected terribly by Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn's just a you know deep ball guy in my mind, and like you said, he's really unreliable in the the catching of the ball. Right. Which but you know one you're not going to do. Yeah, you're not going to want to be throwing him. You know the stuff close to the line of scrimmage and correct plays like that. So. I think that's an area, especially in those first three weeks, that we could see you know, someone else rise up, and it could be him. But I do also want to mention that in those first three weeks, I don't know if you would really be starting uh, Willie Sneed anyway. There were kind of some tough matchups. Yeah, I know he plays first, Minnesota week one. First more. week, Vikings. Um, There's another challenging one, too.
1: Yeah,
0: it's it's a tough one just because, like, Brandon Coleman, you know, we don't know a lot, but we, we are a podcast that loves post hype sleepers. And he was the hype. He was he was more so the hyped guy than Michael Thomas was last year. Last year, yeah. And it ended up that Thomas was you know the real deal, and he was you know ready to get
1: going as soon as he could. One more one more quick thing on Brandon Coleman last year. I think he had like he had under forty targets, but had actually had four touchdowns last season, and caught. I think he had like thirty nine targets. 28 receptions and four touchdowns, something along those lines, which shows that he has a great—that's a very good catch rate and a very good touchdown rate. So if he goes out on the field, I do believe that he's going to produce, and I think that he could easily be a guy that you're starting every week. It's an interesting one for sure. And the schedule
2: is um, Vikings, Patriots, Panthers.
1: Right, yeah.
0: So that's tough. Couple Some good games in there, though. That's going to be cool. Absolutely. Um, Tom, are you ready to go with your bold predictions for I this am. season? All right, let's get, Let's hear it then. And uh, they're going to be bold.
2: Good. Good. All right. So, Brandon Coleman bold? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm talking Charles Clay bold.
1: Oh, that's a good way to start it.
2: I think Charles Clay is going to be an every week starter at the tight end position, and I'm saying an easy top 10 guy. I think I could see him finishing around the seven range. Okay. I truly, truly can. Um, he's the only returning pass catcher in that offense. And I, Which that's, might mean
0: he's next That's not, <laughs> the, that's
2: not um, any bit of exaggeration. Right. they yeah, are right. Hunter, Goodwin, Watkins, everyone Woods. is gone. Woods, they're everyone. all gone. All gone. And he is the only one. They add Zay Jones, obviously, who I love, but you throw to who you've had reps with, and I say that all the time. I think he'll be involved early and often. I expect him to, you know, get out on the right foot versus the Jets. Yeah, and you know that means a lot too. I think just by virtue of that, that he is the only returning passing option. That he is going to be a startable tight end. I think when he came into the league, or I don't think this, I know this when he came into the league, people were very excited about him. Right. He's an athletic guy. He's almost like a, one of those fullback tight ends right. that is actually very talented. Very reminds athletic. me a
1: lot of Delaney Walker. Yeah.
2: And he really could be. And in
1: an offense aside from the Bills, he would have already been a star. And it's it's interesting too because Delaney Walker's rise was, you know, he was kind of like a late bloomer as a tight end too. He played a lot of like fullback with the 49ers. He couldn't because break they had the had roster Fernand over Fernand Davis. Exactly. So it's interesting to compare those two and kind of see their rise. I like that a lot. I do. I, I I agree with you. I think that he could easily see the most targets on their team if if he just shows that he was capable of maintaining his relationship with Tyrod. Yeah.
0: I like it. Um, it's I, the problem is we don't know what's going on with the Bills, and it's very possible that the Bills don't know what's going on with the Bills. Um, it just seems like uh, their new GM just wants to get his guys in there, and he doesn't care what how this season goes. He's almost it's almost like they're gearing up for. The 2018 draft. They are. Um, But, you know, I I like it just because you're right. Like, but as easily as, you know, they let go of Watkins and they let Woods walk, like they could easily trade Tyrod Taylor and then the Bills are completely in flux or they could trade Clay to a tight end needy team. But I do like it because I've always felt like Charles Clay was on the cusp Mm. and he's just never gotten through for that tight end one season. But he's been a he's been a great bye week fill in for me definitely in, in years past. Uh, so, Tom, what's number two?
2: Well, I was just going to say before I get into the next one, let's say he did get traded to a tight end needy team. That doesn't hurt my prediction. That probably helps it. <laughs> yeah, it's no, yeah, not bad at all. I would be excited. <laughs> yeah. I would be like, you remember when I said Charles Clay was going to be a top 10 tight end? Well, here I go. <laughs> all right. Other um, tight end prediction that I have. I've oh. got, I'm going for two of them. There was – I figured there would be a lack of tight end talk on this episode anyway. Yeah. It's not the sexiest position. And
1: you know the back end tight ends better than we do.
2: Yeah, they're the only <laughs> ones I care about. So um, my prediction is this. In the way that the the seasons have been – the times are changing. You know, rookies are getting involved early and often. We're seeing the, the people who used to say, oh, rookie wide receivers don't have an impact. Okay, now they totally do, right? Yeah. Um, Teams build their team around it. (laughs) Yeah, we've seen running backs have immediate impact, like right out of the gate, not even last year. Exactly, not even having to, you know, get the starting position through an injury or suspension, what have you. People are just immediately impacting the league. And I think of the tight end draft class that just came in, it's a possible, definitely a possibility that this year is the year that we see, um, I'm going to say, two rookie tight ends in the tight end one conversation. So in the top 12. So I've got two of them going in there. I'm not gonna tell you which two they are, but I've got two of them going in there, and the likely suspects here are Ingram,
1: right? Howard, right? Injoku. And and Joku. You're saying one, of the, two of those three make their way through by the end of the year. Um, I, I mean, it's tough because so many tight ends have done. So poorly in the rookie season, but you're right. It's starting like the trend is starting to change where rookies are getting more involved. They're getting, you know, teams are bringing in even like a, a weird guy like Zay Jones. A team br- brings in his old receivers coach when they draft him to like, you know, really capitalize on him in his early years. I think it's very possible and I don't see any real stoppages to them besides Howard, but we've seen. Howard with Breit, but we've seen a lot of two tight end sets from the Bucks in the preseason, which makes you think they're both going to be used pretty well.
2: Yeah, and just given the, the health of the surrounding position, you know, if Gronk has an injury-riddled year, um, if Eifert has an injury-riddled year, that top Jimmy 12, Graham. Jimmy Graham, that top 12 really starts to open yeah, up. You'd sure. be surprised at the, the finishing list when it is a year like that, right. you know, some People shocked me. I mean, like, Whitten, wow, he finished his deal. Yeah, Witten was a TE1
1: oh, last year. 11. Yeah. So
2: that's my whole point is that you can actually break into that conversation. And I think, especially with these guys, they're kind of more like uh, the celebrity tight end where right. they're more of a receiver than they mm-hmm. are a tight yeah, end. And I
0: think that um, Will Ty's release from the Giants has basically shooed in that Evan Engram is going to be one of those two tight ends to to confirm your bold prediction because it looks like they have all the faith in the world in him already.
2: Yeah, and I could easily see it happening with Njoku. And the fact that it happened with Breit, you know, we all loved. We're big Cameron Brake guys here. But that means that it could happen with somebody else as well. Mm-hmm. Brake kind of just stumbled into the job. Right. He stumbled in beautifully, yeah, but a stumble nonetheless. Right. So now that they have someone that they've actively went after and drafted and You know, they're rave reviews at camp just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, two of those three guys getting into the top 12 is not unreasonable. And uh, if you rostered one in the long term, maybe it'll pay off, especially Dynasty, like I said, uh, and Joku is incredibly young, 20 years old. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. Number three, Tom.
2: Number three, I am going to reference a stat in this one. Those other ones were kind of, uh, I won't say they weren't stat driven, but this one is Rock solid science from a preseason game. Okay. So you know that this is the real. (laughs) Exactly what's going to happen. (laughs) So Marshawn Lattimore, right, only allowed 0.41 yards per cover snap for the Saints. What I want to say here is that I believe that Marshawn Lattimore is going to change the way that we look at the Saints defense. We're not going to be able to load out um, just any wide receiver versus the Saints right. and have success. Okay. I know that's going to be a huge culture change for the Saints and it's probably not going to happen overnight, but them adding the best corner in the draft is going to do some damage to wide receivers going up against them. There's no doubt about it. Right. So what I would like to say here is that the number two receiver versus the Saints is the one that's going to go off and the number one receivers against the Saints are the going to struggle this year. More than you'd like to admit.
1: Right. You're not just gonna be licking your chops once you see one of those you know, once you see Mike Evans matchup with New Orleans, you're yeah. like, Oh, here we go. Maybe not so much this year. I like it. Because I agree he's looked great.
2: These things they do happen. It, it sounds crazy now, but these the culture shift based on where they're the weakest. Just so- ask
0: guys who started their Wide receiver against Jalen Ramsey last year. I was just going to say. At the end say, of the season.
2: Y- we've seen these, these new age cornerbacks coming in and truly changing the game. Yeah. And they're able to lock down receivers. Like Rhodes was, uh, you know, clamps. Clamp City on Odell Beckham on Alshon Jeffrey on guys that are wide receiver ones, no doubt about it. So I believe that Lattimore can kind of get himself into that conversation. It's there's going to be a need for more than just him to change the entire um, right secondary. But it's
1: interesting how that how it can change like that because the Jets went through a similar renaissance when they were able to get Revis and uh, you know watching those games firsthand in Revis's prime. He was just so good that the whole defense, you know, the the offense was just reacting to how well Revis covered the other team, and it helped everyone else on that defense to really just play and play very well.
2: A cornerback can do a lot for your organization. Yeah. And the last one, Tom? The last one is that Jonathan Stewart, this is kind of like a two-parter, and um, this is the preface here, so this isn't the prediction yet. Okay. Although it is a prediction. Jonathan Stewart's going to go off week one. Because he's playing the 49ers. They were the worst rushing defense in the NFL last year. Maybe he's, ever, right? This is, yeah, pretty much. This is the only game where he's going to really get that veteran's treatment and start before Christian McCaffrey starts eating into him. Because Christian McCaffrey is going to have a good game as well. Let's not mince words. Am I stealing your prediction? No. Okay,
0: you have an odd face on. <laughs> I had a very big smile on my face. <laughs> You'll see why in a second.
2: Okay. Uh, this is one that no one had heard. Well, obviously. <laughs> so I predict that while he goes off this game, I'm talking he might have two touchdowns, you know, because right. he's going to get that goal line work. But they're going to find out that they can use McCaffrey between the tackles. And the world is going to find out that they can use McCaffrey between the tackles. And Jonathan Stewart's performance is going to pretty much come to a screeching halt. I think 25% of his fantasy points are going to come in week one. <laughs>
1: Scott? I mean, I love McCaffrey, so I love it. (laughs) But, um, I mean, it makes sense what you're saying. Like, they might not just give McCaffrey 20-something carries in week one against the 49ers when they can go with Stewart, who's been proven. I agree with you. I think he probably will have a pretty big week and then start to kind of fade off. But I'm too big on McCaffrey to say that even Stewart will have a good week one. Well... I think he will. <laughs> My first
0: bold prediction is that Christian McCaffrey never shakes Jonathan Stewart all <laughs> year. <laughs>
2: well, we'll have to see who, um, which th- way the scales tip on this right. one.
0: My thinking is: how many years <laughs> have the Panthers used the two running back system? Even before Christian McCaffrey was there, you know, we had the two fluky years where Jonathan Stewart was by himself, but it really was, you know, D'Angelo Williams, D'Angelo Williams, and, and Jonathan Stewart. So I think there's a spot for him there. The Panthers general manager was fired because he didn't treat the veteran players on the team with enough respect. Jonathan Stewart being one of the veteran players, I think that there's going to be some pressure to keep him involved. And I don't think McCaffrey ever gets that lion's share of the work that we're all expecting him to get at some point. I just don't think it comes this season.
2: The only thing that I could try to poke a hole in there is... He's really not had very many sixteen game seasons in his career. More often than not, he misses multiple games. And when you give the door open to or leave the door open to a guy like McCaffrey, who's young, um, exciting, the fans are gonna love him. Yeah, that Hamm kind of him. thing. So that's given uh, that guy's gonna take a mile when you give him an inch. Yeah.
1: yeah um, you know, Stewart has been effective. to the tune of seventy-five percent of that. Stewart has been effective you know, as a runner, but he's done nothing to really stand out. And that's why I really loved McCaffrey this year. But another reason why I really love McCaffrey this year is because I don't think that they're going to use him in their traditional running back sense, which could mean that, yeah, maybe he, maybe McCaffrey never shakes, um, Jonathan Stewart, but it might not even matter because of how effective McCaffrey will be as a receiver. Yeah.
0: I just, I, I do think he'll end up outscoring Stewart. I just don't think he'll ever get like, you know, the, the 25 carries to Stewart's like six, right?
2: And do you think that will be throughout our I think agony? Like we'll we'll it, we'll be calling for it. We'll be screaming yeah. at the TV. Yep, yeah. that's what the you're last predict- person <laughs> who realizes
0: that they should give the lion share of the work to Christian McCaffrey Leonard, is yeah. going to be Ron. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'm going to move on to my next one. It's another rookie running back. uh Prediction: Alvin Kamara will lead all Saints running backs in fantasy points. He's looked great. It started with Sproles, then it went to Pierre Thomas. Even last year, you could call it the Mark Ingram role. The Cadet. Saints love Cadet. The Saints love throwing to running backs, and it looks like Kamara is emerging in that role. Adrian Peterson's health and age being what they are, he might be out. It and doesn't what help it... he's
1: got two stones on his hands. Too. Exactly. <laughs> and
0: what's the one thing we know about the Saints and Mark Ingram? They, they hate him. They hate him. So this guy is an AP injury or a Mark Ingram fumble away from getting more carries and he's probably going to get most of the catches. So yeah. I think he, I think this is an opportunity this is a sleeper opportunity for a rookie running back to really take a hold of a backfield.
2: Yeah, he's really taken the fantasy world by storm this preseason. He was a he was he was in the conversation but he was not where he is right now right. a few weeks ago. He looks great. He had a great pre, uh he had a great <laughs> preseason. You, you don't need to cut that, down. We right. can leave him. <laughs> We right. can leave the struggle. He had a great preseason, and Cadet had 50 receptions last year. Right. So you can pretty much slot him in for around that as a floor. And with what you're saying, there's two running backs ahead of him,
0: but that seems but to be an easier— But those two running backs easier, the same thing. It
2: seems to be an easier path than some people who only have one ahead right. of him.
0: Like it's, I think it's an easier path for Kamara to get— Fantasy relevant production than say like Samaje Perine,
2: yeah, who's been on the opposite trend, right? Exactly. Of things. So, uh,
0: yeah, I think we've beaten that one. I think death, no, you know? yeah, oh, okay, I agree
1: ahead. with you. I think even with uh, Snead out, the first three games there could be more usage in the running in the back slot, pass yeah. game, could lead more to Kamara.
0: Yep. Uh, my my next prediction, my third, Martellus Bennett will lead the Packers in touchdown receptions. I think even Old. Aaron.
1: That's a bold one.
0: I think even Aaron Rodgers will tell you that the discrepancy between Jordy Nelson, who had 14 touchdowns, Devontae Adams, who had 12 touchdowns, and everyone else – was not the way the Packers wanted to operate their offense. They were basically in desperation mode and had to just go with what was working. I think they're going to kind of try to come in with a more all-around approach. That's why you've heard a lot of fantasy pundits, including ourselves, saying, you know, look for a sneaky comeback year from Randall Cobb. We know they've got Ty Montgomery out of the backfield. He's a converted wide receiver. So they'll they'll feel like they don't have to feel obligated to running in the red zone because they know that they can just swing it out to him. And then you've got all these other options. And in the middle of the field... Is Marty Soros Rex.
2: <laughs> they truly are loaded. Yeah, they have yeah.
0: so many options. And because of that, I think it's going to be kind of a spread the well situation. I think we see Jordy get to like 10, but there's a possibility he can go as low as 7. I think Devontae, he's obviously a prime candidate for touchdown regression. Yes. Cobb's obviously a prime candidate for touchdown ascension. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got that and you know Marty... Marty Bennett is going to be a big red zone target. He could easily get double digits. And if he's the only Packer to get double digit touchdowns, well, guess what? He yeah, leads the Packers in touchdowns.
2: I see what you're saying in that if all things work out with, you know, Ty Montgomery, Randall Cobb, that those numbers will shrink on the Jordy and Devontae side. And right. yeah, right. It, it makes sense. And the, I can totally see the path. Um, I'm still not sold on the Rodgers to a tight end connection.
1: Right. But, but if it,
2: anyone can do something crazy at quarterback, it's Aaron Rodgers.
1: And if anyone can really step in and kind of show that, show their capability as a tight end, it's Martellus Bennett. He's done it on so many different teams. He just did it with Tom Brady last He's year. Very very like, able to go into a new situation and be impactful. He did great in the preseason. I believe he scored two touchdowns at least from Rodgers just in his limited preseason snaps. So it looks like they're looking to him in the red zone. I can I, I see where you're coming from with it. To me, I think Jordy it will just get too money, too much volume because Rodgers is just so good and they're going to throw so much this year. But Bennett is going to score. I agree. Yeah.
0: My last one. Antonio Brown will finish outside the top five at wide receiver this year. Why? He's been the number Ow. one receiver for three years in <laughs> is a row. Is he going to get hurt? <laughs> I would never make a prediction that a guy's going to get hurt, and I sincerely hope that Antonio Brown doesn't get hurt because he's so fun. Yeah. But the Steelers towards the end of last season were making an obvious effort to hide Big Ben from defenses. They were giving Le- Le'Veon Bell 30 carries. They were giving him, you know, eight catches out of the backfield. Like they are not as confident in Ben's ability to pick apart a defense as they were, say, two or three years ago. And the good thing with Brown is that he's a playmaker. He was still, you know, he still got across as the number one fantasy receiver. But with Martavis Bryant back and I know that he performed extremely well with Martavis on the field. A lot of people would say he performs better, but I just don't think that he's got enough he's going to have enough of an opportunity because once Bell is back and he's, you know, in football shape, they're really going to lean heavily on him. And we know one thing about Big Ben, he's he's basically, you know, a tweaked ankle or a concussion away from missing right. two or three games. When Ben misses time, it's Antonio Brown's production that goes down right? because he just doesn't have that rhythm with, you know, he didn't have it with uh, Landry Jones or Mike Vick a couple of years ago. So
1: it was actually Martavis Bryant who was having the bigger games with the backup quarterback. Right. And so, he
0: played
2: a lot of preseason this preseason just to get back into the football swing of things. And Ben wasn't. So he was getting those reps in with the other guy.
0: Exactly. So you add up all of this that's going on with the Steelers and we haven't even talked about how deep the receiver position is outside of it. You know, Odell Beckham's always a great, great pick to be the number one wide receiver. We all think Julio Jones is going to get a lot more looks in the red zone this year. If he does that, he was neck and neck with Antonio Brown two years ago for the top receiver. We've also got, you know, young guys, young guys, Michael Thomas, if he's the real deal, he might make a jump. Amari Cooper's in his third year. We think he might make a big jump. Mike Evans. Doug Baldwin, Mike Evans from last year. If Jordy Nelson continues his touchdown production, he's going to be in in the mix. So there's going to be a lot of guys. I think we're going to start to see a very muddled top of the wide receiver position. And if that happens and certain things in Pittsburgh start working against Antonio Brown, and listen... I had to just build up a lot of different things that, you know, if one of those things doesn't happen, he's going to be there. But I just don't think, I think this might be the year that he starts to fall off a little bit.
2: Yeah. To me, he's a lock for top five, but that's also why this is the bold predictions episode. So, you know, it could totally happen. I know. I feel like I keep saying that it could totally happen (laughs) after each of you explain, but I mean, I guess it totally could. The thing that makes me doubt it even more is his reception totals compared to um, you know Odell Beckham let's say right? like Antonio Brown is going to keep you alive especially in any PPR format I don't have
1: to tell you guys that though no we got you yeah Um, (laughs) I I agree I think that you know the, the biggest point to Don's argument is that the top of the receiving class can be very muddled I think there's a lot of guys who can really have very big seasons and um so it's possible that Brown maybe ends up like one tenth of a point behind the guy in fifth place, <laughs> and then gets in sixth. Yeah, and
2: <laughs> let's be honest, it's not like he's on a rapid decline, but we have seen the best of him pretty much.
1: He caught 136 balls two years ago, and he barely caught 100 last year, so there was regression. I think we've
2: saw his, we've seen his best season already. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he's, you know, there's no cause for concern in my book but we've probably seen his best season. There's some guys that we haven't seen
0: their best season. That's right. So Don's smiling. of sounds like Don's. you guys are talking yourself into it. I like it. I love it. All right. Before we wrap up this episode, we've got something that Scott has put together that we're all really excited about and he's excited to share with you. So Scott, I'm going to give you the floor. Let's hear your big announcement. Sure.
1: And you know, everything's a team effort here. So it wasn't just me, but I, I did start the Google doc. So, um, We've created a prop bet pool, um, you know, during the football, during the uh, Super Bowl, me and Tom filled out a prop bet pool for how long the National Anthem will be, how long will Lady Gaga perform, who will have more catches between, you know, Edelman and Sanu, just kind of things like that. And um, we thought it would be really cool if we did that for the fantasy season. So we went at, we went ahead and created a, a prop bet pool of about 25 questions Um they range from, you know, it's all positional answers. So, who will have more passing yards between certain quarterbacks? Who will have more touchdowns between certain running backs, receivers? And it goes through with some other fun bonus questions. There's a, The tiebreaker is a great question, yep. especially now with what's going on. Um, and then, you know, the winner um, will get, we'll, we'll send them uh, their favorite player's jersey. Um, That's one
0: of the questions on the sheet. It's the, like one of the last questions, who your favorite player is. So, if you are going to say your favorite player is Odell Beckham, but you already have an Odell Beckham jersey, don't say pick, Odell Beckham. Like, right, say somebody right. else so that and, we know that we'll get you something. And we'll have you your have. email
1: on there. So, so once you win, we'll email you out. And if you say, I put Odell Beckham, but yeah. I already have his jersey, whatever, we'll figure something out. But the point of it is just to get you excited for the season coming up. There's some good, tough questions on there, I think, that – that anyone who's really into this as much as we are, even close to as much as we are, are really going to enjoy it. And yeah. it's, it'll be fun to fill out maybe with your buddies, you know, right before the Thursday night game kicks off, I warn you up.
2: We had a lot of fun filling ours out, but we we like to give you this short deadline because we know, you know, you're human, you like to put stuff off. So we give you this short time frame. It takes, you know, just a couple minutes. You fill it out, send it back to us, and your entry is good for the season.
1: Right, and we'll be firing out the, uh, the link um to the to the form to fill out um to everyone over yep. twitter and stuff like that. Yep.
0: So check out our Twitter at RutsFF. We're all individually on Twitter at HillierFF for Tom, at WagsFF for Scott. I'm at why so serious. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at RutsFF for both. And like I said, we've got another episode coming Thursday. And we're gonna be posting Two, two episodes, episodes a week. week until the end of the regular season. Uh, that yes, that includes week seventeen. For those of you who are still, uh, I feel in like I should have known to say that. two episodes a week. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So uh, next this Thursday we're going to be previewing every single game. It's a sixteen game week uh, for the first few weeks, so we're very excited about that. We're going to yeah. be telling you who to keep an eye out for, who to maybe avoid, and uh, all that other fun stuff. We'll have news and notes as well. And uh, until then, keep scoring. I'm